Welcome to devmode.fm, a podcast dedicated to the tools, techniques, and technologies used in modern web development. I'm Andrew Welch from NY Studio 107. I'm Patrick Harrington from Mildly Geeky in Boston. And I'm Michael Rogg from Build for Humans in Texas. And today we have on Drew Powers, an engineer from skypack.dev. How you doing, Drew? Hey, doing well. well thanks for coming on. And the, the reason we're having you on is we want to talk to you about this thing called Snowpack and then also this thing called Skypack. So if you were out in Puerto Rico at the Arecibo Observatory and you're walking by the dish and you drop your phone into the dish and you see it sliding down there and a local kid says, I'll go get it for you. If you explain to me what Skypack and Snowpack are, what would you say? <laughs> Got to do it fast. That phone is only sinking. Well, and the so dish Snow- is about to collapse. <laughs> yeah. Apparently. Snowpack is a build tool for front-end development, and it's meant to capitalize on some of the new technologies that the web is built on now. And it just kind of takes a look at what could your dev tooling look like just being built from today with a lot of our tooling kind of being you know, a few years older than it than it needs to be and handling a little older browsers than it needs to. So what does Snowpack replace? Like, what might I be using now for local development that Snowpack is meant to replace? It can replace a lot of Webpack setups, parcel, roll-up, the thing that kind of sits at the bottom of your stack, essentially. But it can also replace for, you know, we have templates for React, Vue. The Svelte team is actually partnering with us. And so we're adding support for Svelte that the Svelte team approves of. So we can replace your Create React app. I think they're on Vite or Vite now, not Vue CLI, Preact, that sort of thing. Yeah, this is one of those wonderful pronunciation things. And we'll, we'll get into this in a little bit. But I think it's called Vite, I think is actually how that thing is pronounced, believe it or not. Just so I can make sure it's clear. So if I'm using Webpack to do my front-end build process, whether it's the the local dev server or the production build, or if I'm using Laravel Mix, or if I'm using Gulp, or if I'm using Grunt, Snowpack is designed to replace those things. Is that where it sits? Yeah, exactly. All right. So your phone is slowly disappearing down into the dish and the kid's looking at you (laughs) and he's like, look, man, you haven't told me about what this Skypack thing is yet. What is that? What is Skypack? And how does that relate to Snowpack? So not trying to go into the weeds a little bit, but it's really hard to sell just how cool of an idea Skypack is without peeling back Snowpack and looking at what's underneath a little bit. When we talk about ES modules, you know, that import syntax we've been using for a little while, we've gotten used to it now. Browsers actually support it, which is really exciting. But one thing that I think most developers haven't realized you can do with that is that you can load URLs with it. It's something that if you've hopped on the Dino bandwagon, you actually do know this, but you're kind of ahead of the curve of where most developers are. So Skypack is the idea of, well, if we can load modules from a URL, like what if we could load React from a CDN? What if users don't have to pay that cost of downloading all these dependencies, which can really pay off for some big heavy dependencies, such as the full D3 suite, the full 3JS with some of the plugins. Some things that we really need for a lot of the modern web can be sped up, but it does more than that because I think I'm just describing a CDN. It can do some really exciting stuff like auto-target based on the browser. So we can actually transpile polyfills if you're on a little bit of an older browser. It's some really exciting thing you can only do with a live URL. So you're saying if I'm using Snowpack, I don't even need... NPM? Like I don't need NPM to pull the stuff in? I can just grab it from you folks? Is that is that what you're saying? So that is, I can't say that's true right this second, but it will be true <laughs> very, very, very soon in a release that's coming up. I can't give a date on it yet, but just look out in the next couple of weeks and yes, that, that will be true actually. So later on in the show, you're going to announce a hard release date for this thing, right? Uh... <laughs> that you're going to you're gonna go on record and you're going to stick you to it? You heard it here first. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, so let, let's take a step back, Drew, because I think this is actually really fascinating because the whole reason, like a lot of people get... <sighs> I don't know. I'm in the middle of redoing a whole bunch of Webpack stuff. And a lot of people just hate Webpack. And I think the reason they don't like it is it's just a tool that they use to get a job done. And their job is not in configuring Webpack. Their job is in building a site for a client or whatever. And that's why I think some of the animosity comes in because they're like, I can't even get my actual job done until this kind of meta work is out of the way. But the crazy thing to me is that Webpack, the only reason we really need it or use it is because of NPM, right? So 
and you jump in here if you if I'm saying something that's wrong, but npm was a package manager for Node, which is server side JavaScript. And for whatever reason, everyone started using npm, even front end developers. There was this thing called Bower that was out there for a while that had front end ready JavaScript stuff. But even the the folks that ran Bower said, you know, hey, don't use our stuff anymore. Just use npm, and it became the canonical source for all JavaScript libraries. Problem being, Node runs on the server. That same code is not going to run in your browser without something translating it into something that will run on the web. Thus, Webpack, as well as a number of other tools, came along to do it. Is that is that kind of like a good synopsis of, of how we ended up where we are? Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, I, I would add one more onto the stack of, yeah. of what you said. I think NPM has the heart. Of it. I think you nailed the heart of it. One more little thing is front developers don't like writing HTML and they don't like yeah. writing vanilla JavaScript. So it's mm. it's JSX, it's Vue, it's, and those are not bad things. I'm not at all saying that's a bad idea. Like they are monumental time savers. We wouldn't be doing that. But for every layer of abstraction you get from what the browser understands, JSX, all that, again, not that it's bad, but you do ha- kind of have to like that cost that you get in time saving, you have to mm. pay for an understanding that translation process. And right. I and a hundred percent that is where a lot of people get frustrated. I mean, I I myself too. I just think it's kind of crazy that we ended up with all these layers of tooling in, in large part. I agree with you. That's not the only reason, but in large part, because everyone just decided to use NPM. And how did the decision, like, how did everyone decide we're front-end developers, we should use this back-end module system? Like, what what happened? I don't, I don't understand. How did we get here? Why didn't Bower take off in terms of here's the JavaScript for the front-end developers? Because it's got to be the case that there are more front-end developers than there are people that are writing JavaScript in no on the server. So how did this crazy inversion happen? I don't get it. I think it's hard to have this conversation without just applauding NPM for the amazing work that they did. Not only just building a good delivery method for JavaScript, but also NPM kind of is the gold standard of package managers now. But And I can't be the only one who has sat there watching that stupid little bar as NPM install is running along. (laughs) If this is the gold standard, I think we're in big trouble, man. (laughs) I think we're in big trouble. Well, I think referring to talking about package managers, I I think that's a huge reason why NPM really took off where Bower didn't is that NPM is so much more powerful in the way that it handles dependency management and nested dependencies, especially mm. um, and cross-referencing all of all of the code dependencies. Bower really was a package manager in a much more simplistic sense. It's like I tell it to pull a package and it and it pulls whatever version of the package I ask for, regardless of whether that particular version of package A happens to be compatible with the version of package package B that I'm running. And NPM sort of does all of that resolution for us in the same way that Composer does for PHP. Or, and so I think the importance of that can't be understated in terms of uptake. But it's also kind of like, let, let's say we had a, a library, right? And for whatever reason, the Chinese library had things organized really, really well. And we're like, you know what? We only speak English here, but we're going to use the Chinese library. And we're just going to translate everything from Chinese into English whenever we need to do something with it. You know, It just seems crazy. I don't know. It seems crazy to me because there are just so many people, so many more front-end developers. And yet, yeah, I mean, I guess you're right. It must be that, that NPM just did a really good job compared to some of the others because we all decided to adopt this thing, NPM, as the standard place to get JavaScript packages, like the canonical JavaScript package place, despite the fact that none of our code would work on the front end without some kind of transpilation process. Thus, Webpack, thus, you know, what are some of the other tools? There have been a, a number of other tools that came out to do this. Browserify was another one. I don't know, it's just crazy. Like the the scaffolding that appeared around this thing just because the decision was made to use the this backend node libraries is just it's pretty amazing to me. But now enter this thing called PicoWeb. So we got a host on here whose name is PicoWeb Forever. So can you explain to us, Drew, what PicoWeb is and what how that relates to Snowpack and, and Skype? Like what what is PicoWeb and is is that dead now? Or what, what is it? <laughs> just really confused people. We, yeah, we should be clear. <laughs> that the person who nicknamed themselves Pika Web forever yeah. is not Drew. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but should have been. But should have been. Yeah, because yeah, we had Fred we had your coworker Fred on here a while ago to talk about Pika Web. Is Pika Web still a thing? Or, or what is it? It is not still a thing. So Pika Web became Snowpack. Mm. Um, Pika Web is Snowpack 1.0 and then Pika Web 2.0 renamed to Snowpack, direct lineage. So Snowpack is the artist formerly known as Pika Web. Yeah, you got it. Yeah, and so 
Snowpack 2.0 was a big release. It was it was moving from this idea, like what you're talking about, the translation. We might talk about that later if we come back to it. There's there's some interesting points there, but I think it's... But anyways, regard to Snowpack, PicoWeb was just preparing those, you know, like you said, those, those backend things, sometimes even meant for the front end, but they always had to be passed through that backend filter just to mm-hmm. be able to be built and everything. So PicoWeb was that translation layer back into you know, English in your metaphor or back into the browser code, but it stopped at the install. And then... Snowpack 2.0 was adding on to that where PicoWeb only did the install and then Snowpack does the what we call the install or, or preparing node modules for use on the web, but also the dev server built in and the build process that prepares your production build too. So it became much more bundler-like. <laughs> I'll say. I don't want to call it a bundler just yet because there are a couple of distinctions. So the big hook for Snowpack, if I understand it correctly, is if I want to do modern development, but I don't want to spend the rest of my life configuring Webpack or whatever, you know, hand massaging a, a gulp build process or whatever, the, the holy grail in terms of what Snowpack will do for you is you just fire it up and you just import the stuff you want and it just works, right? It's a zero config up and running with a hot module reloading dev server, essentially right is that what that what it does yeah yeah exactly and the aim of the project is to be as simple as possible by doing as few translations as possible and that's something we keep in mind when it relates to the code you write versus what ships to the browser so i mean historically what you just talked about with npm the reason why we had to do so so much translation is node.js the project was javascript for the back end it took javascript to its limits but you need a module system to work on the back end so it wasn't a fault of node it was just there was no standard so did a bunch of experiments and came up with you know what become common JS that became like the lingua franca of Node. And then meanwhile, other people were experimenting with the same thing. And it was part of that process, which is if you're in the industry working, just trying to get projects out the door, like you said earlier, it can be frustrating. But mm. there's also a really beneficial way of us doing these experiments, the community coming together and deciding what they want and us having a bunch of different module systems. Yeah, it did. It did lead to a bit of a fragmented ecosystem where we also do the translation that stinks. But also I would argue that I think we ended up with the final culmination being ES modules, which is supported in all major browsers now. Node.js has launched official support and they will be transitioning everything to ES modules. Dino's built on ES modules. What came out of that experimentation was we had a lot of data and lots of years to draw from of what JavaScript's module system should look like. And we ended up with a pretty darn good version of it. Yeah, it's Um, kind of a a case where the standards bodies were just lagging so far behind that people were just like, I'm just going to build my own thing and we'll kind of see how this shakes out, right? Right. Yeah. And there's a disconnect there between if you come up with a standard without a lot of field testing, you know, is that really what people need and will use? Oftentimes, no, (laughs) it's it's missing some major piece. So anyways, what what Snowpack does back to the question is, you know, Node.js had to come up with a module system and that worked. But and then ES module, the spec came out and I think Webpack, I might be wrong, you can correct me. Webpack 2 was the first fully supported and transitioned to this is the way we do things now, but browsers still didn't support it. And so Webpack's job is to strip all of that code away. And Snowpack's job is to kind of expose that or, or leave that around as, lo- as long as possible. And that's only been possible since a couple of years ago when all browsers started supporting ES modules. Mm. The, it just works is mostly just due to the evolution of the language and the tools of the web itself. And we just try to have as little delta as possible between what you write and what runs in the browser. And in our experience, we just found that's the best experience and has the least amount of frustration. Yeah. So if I understand this correctly, this concept of modules and bundlers. The reason that we need a bundler in the first place for writing code for the web is because browsers don't know how to import modules or deal with modules or figure out module dependencies. And so if I have all these modules that I want to leverage in my front-end code, I need something that understands modules to take all of these things and bundle them up and give them to the browser in the way that the browser can execute. But that's kind of an old model that assumes that browsers don't know how to mm-hmm. understand bundlers. And and now that we have reached a point in JavaScript's evolution where working with bundles is kind of a norm and browsers are much more capable of understanding and dealing with these modules, now maybe I don't need a bundler at all because the browser already knows what it's doing when it encounters one of these modules. Is that kind of a fair paint of the landscape? It's the kind of thing where the, the platform, use the platform, is what people say a lot of the time. And the platform now includes ES modules, right, Drew? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I would say, you know, back to talking about 
you know, the history of bundlers and NPM, I, there's there's a couple of reasons. Uh, yeah, as you as you mentioned, modules were a huge reason to use bundlers. That is why a lot of people use them and only use them. So I think there's modules, there's NPM, and then there's also just the performance story of it. So yeah, one, we don't have to worry about anymore. Browsers do understand modules unless you have to support IE 11, which is being, I think, is actually technically being end of life. Was it September of this year? My, my aunt is going to use it until the end yeah, of time. Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> well, sure. But, but one thing is is for certain, it, you're, you probably don't have to deal with IE 11 when you are working in local development. Right. And, and so when you're in local development, if you can come up with a way to not have to deal with a bundler, then your process of development is going to be so much faster because you're not waiting on Webpack or Rollup or whatever else to sit there and bundle all of your code every time you change a line of, of JavaScript. And so maybe you need some of that, some more bundling and some more transpilation to deal with legacy stuff when you go to build your site. But you probably don't need to deal with it when you're initially developing your site. And if you can choose to not deal with it, then you're, you're going to move faster. Yeah, so that's a good point. So Drew, lead me through the experience. So people are used to using Webpack or Mix or, or whatever are used to doing something where they'll do like, um, NPM run dev or something like that. And a development server will start up or NPM run start or, you know, whatever it ends up being. And there'll be a dev server that starts up and then in their code, they'll import something. How does that work with Snowpack? Is it a similar experience or how does that happen? Yeah. So the dev server is a little unique. It's a little different from the build, but they actually both tap into the same idea, which is roughly one-to-one translation. And what that means is when I say like dependency graph, it's just a fancy word to talk about. If you've developed with Webpack before, you're used to this idea of entry, right? Where Mm -hmm. you start off with one file. And then if you could draw like a little like tree diagram, that one file imports another file, that file imports another file. So and bundling, they told you two look- friends and they told two friends and they told two <laughs> friends. And soon you end up with just this massive number of modules. Yeah. Right. Yeah. All, all the all the Kevin Bacons and something like that. Um, <laughs> when you do a when you do a build, as we say in the industry, as you do a build, it has to know about the full graph, everything that's connected to everything. Mm-hmm. Um, so every time you hit save, that's why some of those builds take so long is because it has to chug through everything and even like the node modules too but because the browsers under and again, again it has to do that because it has to pull out the module system and reinvent its own module system that the browser understands or, or at least mm. that used to be the case and then in snowpack's case well browser understands modules so we don't have to know about your whole thing so it's all one-to-one if you have a javascript file we're just going to put it out one-to-one and so we can actually do everything in parallel and also on the dev server if you hit save on a file only that one file rebuilds so it's much faster because it doesn't have to know about your entire application. So actually, even if you have really, really large apps, that's really where Snowpack shines is because it doesn't mm. increase your build time or your, we have hot module reloading, instant updates in the browser. Even with every NPM module loaded on your computer, if there was a computer big enough in the world to handle that, it would still have near instant builds. So Webpack dev server, if I edit a file that imports a whole number of things and import a whole number of other things, that whole dependency graph has to be built and parsed and, and rebuilt before it can HMR. But you're saying if we're using Snowpack, it will just rebuild that one file and everything else is just imported separately via the module system. So it just works. It's kind of what you're saying, right? Right. Yeah. In full fairness, I'm sure a lot of these systems now have partial rebuilding. They're using a cache. You can yeah. do something intelligent to pay that down, but taking caching out of the picture, yeah, you're right. It, it does have to know about the entire world. Um, mm. Maybe it can save some work and be smart about it, but Snowpack doesn't have to know about the entire world. And we try to maintain true of just kind of, just, I think it feels a little bit more similar to what coding for the web in the early 2000s felt like, where you feel more of a confidence that the code you write is going to get shipped to the browser as is. Wait, you're um, saying I'm going to have to use jQuery? Is that what you're telling me? Unfortunately, yeah. No, no, you don't. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So this, this all sounds great, but we just had Stefan Baumgartner on to talk about TypeScript. What if I want to write all of my JavaScript in TypeScript? Can I do that using Snowpack? Is that a thing? Yeah, you actually can. We support TypeScript out of the box. We support JSX and TSX, you know, TypeScript flavored React out of the box. We can't take credit for that. Uh, that's the amazing work of Evan Wallace. If you follow the ES Build project, right. it's amazing project. Um, and that's another thing I should mention too. So we stand on the shoulders of giants. Evan's doing amazing work and is continuing to put surprises with what ES Build can do. So that's all. It's WebAssembly powered. So that's another point in Snowpack's favor is using ES Build. So not only is it one-to-one where you only have to build one file, 
trial of time, we're also using a WebAssembly module, which or build system, which is orders of magnitude faster than having to do the whole thing in Node.js too. Yeah, so ES build is kind of analogous to Babel in terms of what it will do, right? It will translate from one type of code into just plain JavaScript that can run. And Patrick, ha! Did you hear that, Patrick? WebAssembly is being used for something freaking awesome. I, I, I got to tell you, Drew, Patrick is a WebAssembly hater. I'm He's not a, a WebAssembly hater. hater. Just, oh, yeah. Every time mm-hmm. my CPU starts going, and I'm like, all right, we're 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 doing Bitcoin now. WebAssembly yeah. is <laughs> somebody's, somebody's mining some crypto. Yeah. No, but ES Build, I think it was originally, it's written in Go, but it's built using a WebAssembly module, and that's how it does its thing. And it's super fast. And Patrick, what do you have to say for yourself? You're going to be benefiting from WebAssembly and you have just dissed it and thrown shade on it since day one. <laughs> I, I, I still stand by. I find it very... I don't understand it. <laughs> I, I'm not going to try to understand it. Does it shake the trees, though? Will it... Yeah. Or does something shake the trees? One, one wonders just how many Bitcoin the makers of VS Build have mined so far <sighs> using... For God's uh, sake. Well, that's the thing. You know, It's all compiled. You can't look at it. It's all under the hood. They could be mining. <laughs> Everyone's doing some mining. Drew, do you yeah. hear this? Do you hear the superstition going on? Both no, I, both Michael and Patrick probably sacrificed chickens at the full moon to make sure that you know, I mean, come on. No, come I, on. I actually I, I do agree having <laughs> having poked okay, that's enough enough full moon action for for today i do agree that having played around with snowpack a thing that really does draw me to it is sort of this one-to-one like i really do like you say feel like i'm building back in the 90s where if i want to add a file to my website i create the file and i don't have to define a new entry point in my web pack or whatever i just create the file and i write the the link or the script tag in the browser, and and I, I don't think about the build process that is in between that file and the browser. It's like that file is just showing up in the browser. And of course, it's being served from the local dev server, which is mapping some disk directory to some source directory, and it's doing some transformation in between so that when my browser requests site.css, it's actually going into my, my source folder and grabbing a pcss file and running Tailwind, running it through Tailwind and whatever else. But like I don't think about that when I'm developing. I, I just I just create the file and I link it in my site and then it just works. And I do appreciate the simplicity of that mental model versus something like Webpack where I have I have to write the entire universe before I can write my first line of code. <laughs> All right. So if I was making a PowerPoint yeah. presentation, I would say a number one point, a bullet point for using Snowpack would be zero config. Would that be fair? Like I can just start doing my stuff without having to mess around with a whole bunch of things. And then the number two point would be that it's fast. It uses ES build, it uses WebAssembly, Patrick. And so it's really fast and it doesn't have to build the whole dependency graph and all that kind of stuff. But, and, and this all sounds great. I can leverage this during local development so I can just get up and running. But what happens when I got to actually ship code, Drew? Because somewhere, somehow, I'm writing it in TypeScript. It's great that it's getting transpiled or I'm writing it in ES 2020 or whatever it is. But my boss tells me it's got to run on IE 11. Something has to happen in terms of the production builds. How does that end of the equation work? That's something that I've been spending a lot of time on in the past couple months is improving that optimization story. So ES modules is still, as we're loading it in the browser, it's still a little bit uncharted waters where even though the spec has been around for a long time, actually seeing it out in the wild, seeing it load in browsers, we're still trying to figure that out. So there are a lot of specs, there's a lot of research, too much to go into now, but there's a lot of good thinking about it. But I'll I'll just say the problem isn't solved yet. Loading ES modules in the browser. We, we can talk about this more if you want. I think you've had this on previous episodes, but ES modules, it's a lot of files. If it's one-to-one, mm-hmm. you have a lot of JavaScript files. You have to pay that network cost. How do you load those? Is that efficient? Do you need something like HTTP2, which loads them more in parallel? So because you have to think about these things differently, yeah, if you have to get something out of the door, one thing we encourage people to do is we have a Webpack plugin, which sounds super confusing, and it is the hardest thing in the world to explain to <laughs> why you need Webpack. <laughs> yeah. Wait a minute, you told me, you Webpack. told me, true, true, true. you've been lying to me. You've been lying to me you told me that we're leaving webpack behind and now you're telling me we're pulling in webpack wait we're, well, we're, the- we're, we're pulling in webpack as a plugin 
Oh my goodness. Is as a plugin that you don't touch in dev, but your builds can mimic if you need to recreate the setup that you have in your existing website. We allow for that. So you still get the the lightning fast dev experience when it comes time to deploy. You can pack everything together used to to support those older browsers or to to do things like you're used to doing. So we do support that, but it's a purely like production time, deploy time optimization. And it's completely opt-in just for the people that need it. And if you don't need it, you don't need it. So if my client tells me we have to ship this on an IE 11 compatible site, I can use your Webpack plugin to do the production build part where, so I, I get all the benefits from Snowpack and local dev. I leverage ES modules, all the fun stuff. But when it comes to produce the production code, I can leverage this Webpack plugin to do it. And also doesn't roll up factor in here somewhere? Yeah, we also have, it's a community plugin, but we also have a rollup plugin too. So if you manage your config with rollup, yeah, we support that too, where you can throw in all of your custom transformations and everything that you need for, for older browser support. Yeah. But I only need either of these things when I hit the button to push it to production is the deal. Correct. Yeah. There's a, we have a, a snowpack build command and build is just, you know, you're saving it to the file system. You're not using snowpacks built-in dev server and hot module reloading. Mm. So yeah, you can set it up to that only runs when you hit build when you're if you have the continuous integration pipeline set up that can just be part of your your normal pipeline that way too curiously if let's say that i want to use snowpack for my local development because it's faster and i'm developing in a modern browser and i also have a webpack setup that i use to build and bundle everything for production and it it cares a lot more it cares a lot about a lot more stuff you know i've also got my image optimizations and my svg sprites and whatever else Mm -hmm. webpack is doing why wouldn't i just run Snowpack for the dev server and then turn around and run Webpack directly for my production build. What is the advantage of, for production, running Webpack through Snowpack? Is it just uh, the convenience of talking to the same tool or are there other benefits to it? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I think practically the situation you described specifically where you have everything already set up, yeah, just use your own setup. I wouldn't run Webpack through Snowpack. Our Webpack plugin is more for people that uh, maybe this is a new, a lot of the people that we've seen adopt it are developing it for new things, new code bases. We have seen people translate it, but for the most part, new code bases. And if they just need, if they realize at the end, like, oh, oh, snap, I have to support blah, blah, blah. Then it's just one qu- quick plugin ad, basically. Got it. If my tool chain is mostly JavaScript and I'm greenfield and I want to defer the decision of whether or not I need a bundler as late as possible, then maybe I build everything out with Snowpack and I add your Webpack plugin at the last minute. Yeah, but I should also plug, you know, not, not, to, not to count Snowpack out. There's the two angles of running ES modules in, in production. One of it is there are the browser people at Chrome are working on ways to make that process, that optimization story better, but also Snowpack is working to make that better. So we have our own plugin optimized that we're going to soon be rolling into Snowpack core. So if you've tried it and you haven't been happy with the numbers or the Lighthouse score you've been seeing, just Snowpack just out of the box, no plugin, we're improving that story constantly. We're going to be shipping a big update soon that'll make that even better. But yeah, I, I would say give it, give it a try and just see what Snowpack can do out of the box for you or using our, right now it's, again, right, right now it's plugin optimized. We have a Snowpack plugin optimized that we will be rolling into Snowpack core uh, pretty soon. But give that a try and just see how that sits with you. And yeah, you can actually just decide to switch it at the last minute if you need something else from a bundler. But again, opt in. All right, Drew. So I'm going to, um, first I'm going to explain to you my bias. So I'm someone that I've spent the last month or two working on a Webpack 5 config, Okay. I know you can feel you can feel sorry for me. You can throw pity at me anytime you want. <laughs> but so my that's where I'm coming from on it. So my question is, what about the concept of being able to import files other than JavaScript into the stuff that I'm building? Because it's it's pretty common that, for instance, I might need to import some CSS, and I use Tailwind CSS. So there's a build process involved there. It uses Post CSS, all that kind of fun stuff. Or maybe I'll be importing an image to use in my JavaScript. How does that work? Is it, does Snowpack have a concept of loaders or how, how does it work in terms of grabbing that stuff? Yeah, that's something Fred and I have talked about a lot recently. And yeah, that, that whole idea of loading CSS in your JavaScript, I don't know if Webpack invented it, but it seems like Webpack popularized it, right? Where like, that's just a normal thing of like import image from image. 
Yeah, mm-hmm. that, that's a <laughs> that's a thing we do now. So Snowpack supports CSS as of right now. I don't believe we support any other file format as is. But what um, if it's something like Tailwind where it's not just CSS, it's CSS that gets generated via post-CSS by a build process. Is that something that, that can be done? A little unfamiliar with how you import Tailwind, so I'm not sure. <laughs> Are you, You're importing, it's building Tailwind and you're importing in JavaScript? Yeah, so basically the way that it works is you, as part of a post-CSS build process, Process. Tailwind is a post-CSS plugin that is kind of in the mix. So it will build all of the stuff as part of the post-CSS loader in Webpack, for instance. So when you load a file and it needs to be processed, Tailwind will build the whole thing dynamically. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. Yeah, we do have post-CSS support in, okay. in Snowpack. And yeah, we also have HTML support in Snowpack. So if you wanted to load that CSS via stylesheet tag directly mm-hmm. in HTML, you could do that. Or we also support importing .css directly in Snowpack. And we support just normal CSS, global CSS, and we also support CSS modules. If you add, if the extension is .module.css, if that's how the Tailwind post-CSS plugin does it. But yeah, we we, uh, we run a lot of stuff through post-CSS in, in Snowpack. So that's that's well supported. As long as you support post-CSS, it, Tailwind will work. Like there's a way to get it in there. Yeah. there. This is another advantage to sort of the, the one-to-one paradigm is, I, this is a hill that I will die on. I don't like importing CSS in my JavaScript script like <laughs> like just just let the css be built like css and let the javascript be built like javascript and css is not a dependency of my javascript and get off it, my lawn like, un- unless i mean unless it is but like for me it's not and so get off my lawn just let me <laughs> like post css is not part of my javascript build chain post css is part of my style build chain and mm. i love and i love that with a tool that has that mindset like snowpack it's only running post css CSS only cares about CSS and I don't have to care about CSS in my JavaScript and it's beautiful. Oh, um, Michael though. Michael, there's there's a legion of developers out there that probably don't even know how to write CSS on their own because they're writing it CSS and JS. <laughs> well, I mean, I don't mean CSS and JS. I mean... Importing, I get it. Like, like, why am I, why is my, am I at the top of a JavaScript file importing a CSS file that has probably nothing to do with that JavaScript just so that like, Webpack will pick it up? You don't have to you because, don't have yeah, to. no i mean i don't i write all my entry points directly to like where they go but but that's just such a common thing that i see and i feel like part of the reason that i see it so commonly isn't because a lot of people have a good reason for it it's just because that's how the, the a lot of webpack boilerplate is set up well i um, get it it's the mental so, model of thinking of all of these things as just resources so javascript is a resource i'm going to import it css is a resource i'm going to import it and and yeah if you don't like doing that what you can do every entry in web pack can be an array and that can just be point to you can just add your css in there if you if you really want to you know yeah yeah exactly but drew the thing i want to ask you about is a little project called vite i believe is how it's pronounced it's vite vite you know whatever vite i've heard lots of you know lots of crazy pronunciations of it i'm pretty sure patrick what's the official pronunciation you're kind of the pronunciation stickler here uh i believe it's vite yeah maybe it's vite i don't know now i'm gonna mess with with dino or don yeah You have no idea. Patrick is, he comes from Puritan stock. So his favorite thing to do is correct (laughs) people, basically. But the the thing I'm curious about is, so this Vite thing is from Evan Yu, the creative or Vue.js, and it seems super similar to Snowpack. So what what am I, is it that similar or what are the differences between them? I should probably have spent more time in Vite because I am a self-proclaimed Vue fan, but I have been using Snowpack for all my Vue development. I found sufficient. Yeah, a lot of Snowpack development went on simultaneously as Evan Yu was developing Vite. Actually, Evan and Fred Schott, the creator of Snowpack, PicaWeb, they also collaborated on more specs. Like uh, one is like the hot module reloading spec to use Mm. import meta for like a more universal hot module reloading rather than everything doing its own thing. So yeah, there was some overlap where the two projects collaborated. Snowpack does support view development. It supports view development in a very Vite-like way. So I do think that there are some, I think build is where we see a lot of difference between the two. I think you might see a lot more view-specific optimizations in Vite that Mm. Snowpack doesn't have yet. Development's very similar. Yeah, conceptually, they're very similar in that they both run via ES modules and they both have a little dev server and they both 
support TypeScript and all that stuff. But I guess that, that brings me to another question. So I, it makes sense to me that Vite, if it sees a .view file, it will know what to do with it. What what about Snowpack? Does it know how to handle a single file view component? Or what about a .jsx file? Like, how does it know how to handle these? Things? Yeah, so we support .view through Vue's official compiler with a plugin. So it's not zero config. It's not out of the box. We just didn't want to ship Snowpack with all these concerns in core if you're not using them. Right. Um, but yeah, it's just a one-line add in your config. We have a Snowpack plugin view that's already set up and ready to go. If it sees a .view file, it'll just do its thing. It'll create the CSS and JavaScript, and it'll create everything as needed. That sounds suspiciously like a Webpack loader, Drew. <laughs> uh, guilty. <laughs> <laughs> Just saying. And does it work similar for like .jsx and .tsx files and that type of thing? JSX and TSX we get out of the box. That's that's what ESBuild supports. So we, we built, we support that too. So there there is no React or Preact plugin. If you want developing locally, we do have React Refresh and Preact Prefresh, I think it's called. Those are plugins. <laughs> it's um, called, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm not just gonna, you can't just get away with throwing that out in there. So you have React Refresh and Preact Prefresh? I, be, I believe that's the name of it, yeah. <laughs> that's beautiful. Beautiful. I love it. I and love the play on words there. Preact so fresh and so clean, clean. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that's fantastic. Well, that's interesting to me because isn't one of the reasons for Preact, I think, if I'm remembering this correctly, is he didn't like the whole idea of, I mean, first of all, to make it smaller, but he also didn't like the whole build process and tooling kind of thing. So probably, probably Snowpack is something that, that probably that you know, that kind of community really likes. Yeah, I can't, I can't say whether or not Prefresh is a Jason Miller thing. I think that might be a community thing. Well, <laughs> uh, I just someone mean, in the community wanted, wanted this React-like thing to exist in Preact, which seems to be like a normal pattern. I just mean the whole concept of something that is zero config and you just kind of get up and running with it. So Michael, you've been using Snowpack for a little while. How have you found it and what kind of use cases are you, you using it for? Um, still very new to Snowpack. I have been messing with it for, I don't know, two, three days. And the use case is I don't want the overhead of Webpack. I, I want to see what developing a project is. I mean, I, like I have a project that is, is not extraordinarily heavy on the JavaScript, definitely doesn't need to you know be fancily bundled or split or anything like that. A single style sheet that needs to be tailwind. And I'm like, okay, can I get away with just not using Webpack and not having to deal with the whole define the universe first mentality? And for that, I have found Snowpack to be really refreshing. It's fast. It's so fast in local development. And I really do like the, again, that kind of one-to-one, the web server isn't doing anything with any files until the browser requests a file. And then it performs whatever action it needs to on that one file and serves it up through the dev server. And I just, it feels less heavy in development. And I am just starting to run up against some of the challenges of like, okay, well now I need to build the thing. And how does that work? And how do I get it to to build only the files I need and put them where I need? And so I'm getting into the cases where I need to start writing snowpack config and and, and, and hitting hitting some of those uh, soft walls of frustration. But I'm I'm not ready to to dig to dig on Snowpack because it's it's very likely like I haven't read that part of the manual yet. Soft walls of frustration, Michael. Um, are you in an, are you in a padded room somewhere? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's you know, it's 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 quarantine, man. Like, uh, gotta no. I, uh, I'm I'm a little. I'm, everyone who's listening, I'm actually a little concerned about Michael right now if he's in soft padded walls of oh, man, I, yeah, I'm I'm in this uh, I, I'm actually in the sunny beach of, of bliss because I have started developing a project without webpack and it feels great and and it's just so much faster it's so much lighter so much nimbler and and I feel like I, I you feel free it, like you're skinny dipping not, and swimming nude in the ocean right it's, it's not gonna end up in this super utopia I'm gonna end up building some scripts some tooling around this other stuff that I need to do, you know, my my SVGs or my whatever. And the extent to which Snowpack is going to be useful for that is like the jury's still out. I'm I'm such a noob with this tool that I like I don't know what I don't know yet. And so, uh, well, but this yes, is so, so far, so far I like it. Well, this is the ghost of Sean Larkin coming.
coming on and where he says it always starts with zero config and it, and it's true right so you you use a tool out of the box and the more assumptions it makes the the more it can be zero config but at some point you, you usually have to do at least some config you know what I mean in order to, to get this thing working in this case the same amount of work is being done whether you're using webpack or you're using snowpack but it's being done in a very different place so snowpack is saying hey the browser has this whole concept of ES modules we're not even going to worry about that we're just going to let the browser take care of it and I think that's really smart and it's really interesting that that's the way it's working but Drew we were talking before about Vue and you have this thing that is kind of like a, sort of like a webpack loader for Vue in order for it to work are you ever worried that in terms of feature creep or scope creep that you're going to end up rebuilding webpack <laughs> uh, yeah all the time I, I do. Yeah, one thing, and I, I, I usually don't hop on the, the Webpack disc, disc wagon. I'm a big fan of Tobias, if that's how you say his name, uh, Sean Larkin. Tobias I, I was I was a big Webpack fan. I, I say fan of like, I appreciated what it did for me. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I may I may have cried a little bit. I may have cried a lot. <laughs> but but I still acknowledge all the things that it did for me and all the ways that it pushed the whole ecosystem forward. But what, one, one learning we had from Webpack is just I spent so much time fighting with loaders. One thing Fred and I spent a lot of time on is the plugin API in Snowpack. And so Mm. different developers will ask you for polar opposite things. And they'll ask for those polar opposite things to be like handled out of the box. And I get it. But when you have these two different ways to handle what are common files, you know, like, like uh, Michael mentioned SVGs, some people want them to be served as is. Some people want them to be right. embedded in a React component. So we spent a lot of time developing a plugin API and we need to talk about it more, but we have a whole plugin guide and we uh, pulled a lot from Rollup because we have found the, when I wrote my, wrote my first Rollup plugin, I was surprised how easy it was because also having written a Webpack plugin, it was not, it was not the same at all. So Rollup actually has a surprisingly easy to use plugin API. And so we mimic that in Snowpack and I'm pretty happy with it. A plugin is as simple as just a function and you tell it what extensions you want to manage. And then Snowpack goes, okay, here you go. Here's the file. Do what you want and just give me back a string of the file contents. Sounds Um, like a loader. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Who said that? I don't know. Some <laughs> random guy just was running past and he screamed, sounds like a loader. It was really weird. Sorry, Drew. <laughs> yeah, I, I'll admit it is, is a loader. We tried to make the best loader API as possible, but we're calling it a plugin, not a loader. Fair enough. Well, hey, listen, did you ever see the movie Conan the Barbarian? The old 1982 with Arnold Schwarzenegger in it? Did you ever see that movie? I haven't. I'm sorry. <sighs> well, you got to see it. But what you were talking about when you were saying you were learning Webpack and you enjoyed it, but you, you cried a little when you're working on it. It reminds me of kind of the beginning part of that movie where they, where Conan is, he's a little kid and he has to push this wheel around and he slowly gets stronger and stronger and uh, and he ends up going out and slaying his foes. And this is kind of like that, right? You went through the rack with Webpack and now you're out and you're building something to replace it kind of. And you should go see that movie, by the way. It's a fun movie. <laughs> I, well, I definitely will after th- that comparison. Uh. Yeah, but we got to get to something. So there's the, the kid is still, you know, their phone is disappearing down into the dish in Arecibo and this kid is still waiting to hear what this Skypack thing is. What what is Skypack and how does it relate to Snowpack? I don't, I don't what is it? What's going on? That poor kid. I hope he's doing all right. He's been there for a while. Um, well, he he doesn't care. Oh, your, he, poor, he, your poor phone. Yeah, exactly. And sure. that poor dish. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so Skypack is, it, it's kind of building on that story of what does this next generation, what does it look like when the internet has a module system? And I think we don't talk about that enough because that's, even if you don't get excited about modules, like who does? There's probably a couple people on earth. <laughs> but the internet having a module system is is a big deal. It changes everything. So like, like what does that story look like? How can how can it just be easier to load JavaScript? So Skypack is kind of uh, playing on that. So we, we have a bunch of really exciting ideas that we want to explore with Skypack. If you caught the the Pika CDN we kept everything from the Pika CDN and then renamed it Skypack just kind of this idea of the npm module system what if that were just accessible from anywhere so that that's basically what it is is I can load npm modules no build system no anything I can just load an HTML file somewhere I can I can go on CodePen and I can just load any npm module that I want in CodePen which if you saw there's a mini announcement uh, Skypack is actually on CodePen right now they just announced it this week so go go try Skypack on 
on CodePen, if you haven't already. I did see that. I saw that from Chris Coyer. I think he put out an announcement saying you could do that. So this is this is kind of like Dino for the front end? Yeah, I, I would say Dino is like this for the back end, but yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> well, which one was first? You know what? Dino was first. I'll, I'll have to give that to them. Okay. <laughs> but, I mean, the basic idea in Dino is, so it's basically for, just real quick, it's sort of a replacement for Node.js, but there's no packages to install. You just import using ES modules. And if you want a particular module, you just give it the URL and it sucks it down and caches it. And it sounds like Skypack is kind of the same, except everything that it's serving are web-ready ES modules. Is, is that right? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And so, yeah, we do a little bit extra work too, because like you pointed out, and like so many of us are unfortunately familiar with, a lot of the NPM modules are just built for Node still. Yep. That's that's why it was created in the first place. No shame in that. Mm-hmm. But even if you are building something for the front end, you're building something for people that are still using Webpack and Node tool systems. So even if you're trying to develop modern code, you're still limited by where the rest of the community is at. So we do a lot of work in trying to make that not only like possible in browsers, and, that, and that's hard enough as it is, but we want to make it optimal in browsers, you know, as good or better than what your build system can do. So for example, we do certain things like if a if an NPM module loads Lodash, for instance, but they only use that one function, well, we don't make your browser download all of Lodash. We actually just embed that one function. Mm. But in other cases where you use, say, uh, like a GraphQL library and you know you need this kind of heavy thing, which some of them do, like we actually do go out and fetch that. So even if you hit different sites, Skypack with different GraphQL clients, if they use that same core, then you already have that loaded too. So we try and be as efficient as possible when it comes to deduplicating, but also just flattening requests of how can we give the browser as much stuff in one request as possible without just deduplicating you downloading the same things over and over again, which you know, you're, you're already doing in a lot of Webpack setups. It seems like the right way to do things. I, I am not a fan of Webpack. You know, not it, it, It's done amazing things, but man, it's a lot of work to kind of craft a, a perfect bundling setup and to be able to just hit things up as I need them on the front end and, and pull them in like they were there. It just sounds like the way I want to go. So I'm, I'm down for this. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of cars where a long time ago, in order to own a car, you actually had to really understand how it works because you were going to have to do some of your own maintenance on it. And But these days, people just don't care. They're like, just give me a car. I want to be able to get from place A to place B. And pretty soon, we're not even going to have to drive them. So, you know, maybe uh, maybe that's what we're going for here. But it sounds like I could probably build something without installing any of these third-party packages via NPM if I use Snowpack combined with Skypack. Is that right? Uh, yeah, that's exactly right. So that's kind of nifty. But how does it do? Is there a way to do production build? Can it still do tree shaking and all that kind of stuff when it goes to build the production build? I guess it can if they're all ES modules. So yeah, Skypack has a a bunch of production-ready stuff built in. We have minification built in. So even if that NPM module didn't ship a minified version, we can handle that for you. Hmm. Like I said before, we have browser polyfilling. So even requesting the same NPM module, we can actually polyfill older browsers that need it. And then once everything is hit once by the browser, there's that really aggressive cache. And an advantage you get over using Skypack is that that node module is cached and anything else that that requests that same Skypack node module, it's already in the client, so they don't have to request it again. Tree shaking is an interesting one. There's a couple different layers of tree shaking, right? You know, there is the the level of like build where I use a bunch of stuff in my development to develop a package as a package author and I want to strip out some of that to create an optimal build. So tree shaking can happen at that stage. There's also tree shaking happening as you're using this stuff, which Webpack Mm. has the whole universe kind of self-contained within it. So Webpack can do a really good job of tree shaking but tree shaking in how do i how do i know what the browser is going to use before they use it mm. it's kind of kind of impossible um, right but that doesn't mean that there's not an answer for that this is kind of uh more in the realm of package authors but there's a thing called export maps which if you shipped a package before you know, hopefully you've heard about this but this is the idea of you know in a node world when you ship in a node module it's just this idea of just like folders and files right it's mm-hmm. just you can request anything in there that could request that that could request that it's not really so much a package module so much as just like I'm downloading a folder of code kind of, right? And then Node kind of does some magic to kind of figure out what you want. So a lot of people have been thinking about this, what can tree shaking look like you know, in a world where we don't know what needs to be requested? And there's this idea of the export map, which is if you ship an export map with your package, it's just a key in package.json called exports. It's this idea that your package has 
only very, very, very specific defined entry points. So uh, that's something that we're trying to encourage people use. For example, uh, Preact does this really well. Svelte also uh, just recently shipped an export map. So for Preact, I can import whatever from Preact, but I also have Preact slash hooks or Preact slash compat. That slash is called a subpath import, but it's basically in the package level. Preact is defined. I only want you to import these specific things. And so we're still seeing a minority of packages ship that. But if you ship that, if you give Skypack an awareness of these are the things that you're meant to use in this package, we handle that really well. And we do a lot of optimizations because that does give a really good hint of how we can tree shake or bundle something that's as efficiently as possible ahead of time. So you still get both benefits of not including too much, not loading too much on the client, but also having enough that you need if you yeah, need the, it. The, the kid's staring at you. He's wondering why you're shaking trees. He doesn't understand. So <laughs> let, let's just back up for a second. So tree shaking is basically the idea of we only want to ship the code we actually use. And it kind of is, it's dead code removal, essentially. In other words, we import this big library, but we only use a tiny chunk of it. We should be able to shave off all of that code we don't use so that when we ship it, it, it just doesn't really matter. And it's something that if you do desktop apps or iOS apps or whatever, you don't really care about because you got tons of storage, there's no network latency or whatever. But if you're doing browser-based stuff, it can actually make a big difference. And I actually think that the people who came up with this term, I think they were big weed smokers. I think they were because, you know, if you buy marijuana, they used to call it the shake is all the crap that would fall off of the marijuana that you didn't want to smoke, like all the nasty stuff. Is that where it comes from, Drew? Uh, Sounds good to me. What's the matter, Patrick? It's legal in most states. Even just, you as a Puritan should We've been skirting it. the explicit rating for so long, and now we're getting into drug use. It's just, oh, for God's sake. We're going to be like at the start of an HBO episode at this point. Drew, did you hear what, what I mentioned about the Puritan, Patrick? I mean, it's just, it's just ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> well, so Drew... You go the Animal Crossing. I thought the term came from Animal Crossing, just shaking to get the... No? No? Just me? Maybe. I don't know. But I, Drew, I, I appreciate all of your, your time coming on here to talk about this. So if we wanted to get started, we said, OK, I like the idea of not having to spend forever setting up my build system. I want to get rid of my Webpack setup or I want to get rid of my Laravel mix setup or whatever it is. Where would I go to start? Where would the journey begin? So I'll kind of give two paths for like the two different people. If you're just developing a website, most of us are, Snowpack, snowpack snowpack.dev, check out the guides. We're spending a lot of time on docs. We're going to release a new doc site soon that's easier to read, more guides for the frameworks that you love, more guides for the how to build your own plugin for I have this very, very special image optimizer that I must control. Not a loader, though. (laughs) Not a loader. (laughs) I understand. It's not a loader. I get it. So snowpack.dev is a great way to to build sites and prepare your front end app. And then if you're a package author, please check out skypack.dev. We have on our site, you know, we have all of NPM there ready for use. But also if you're a package author, we also give you tips on how to best prepare your package for an ES module world. We have a package check thing that if you meet all the requirements, one of them is an export map like I talked about. If you ship an export map, you can make the web better and faster by just Mm. shipping better quality packages. Export map is essentially hints from the library author in terms of chunking the functionality so that you can be better about stripping dead code or or code that isn't used, right? Yeah, it's specifically our applications we build have specific entry points. Mm-hmm. Export map is just, these are the entry points for your module. Right. So you can it can track whether an entry point was ever called and if it's never called, just not include that code. Is that kind of a simplistic idea of how it works or? Yeah. Yeah. I'd, I'd say that's accurate. Yeah. It's more on the, on the browser side where we have that Got path it. ready for you. But yeah, Got if the it. browser doesn't load it, then yeah, that code never, never makes it to the browser. So we can ship much more efficient code and we can, we can live in this happy world where ES modules are loaded in the browser. You can load any NPM package from anywhere with no install or anything. And it's not only workable, which is the first goal, but it's actually fast. It's actually optimal. Very cool. Well, I think that about wraps it up for another episode of the devmode.fm podcast. If you enjoy the show, make sure you subscribe, tell a friend, or drop us a review. We really would appreciate it. And if you have any advice for helping Patrick out on his rehabbing his Puritan ways, just let us know. For the devmode.fm podcast, I'm Andrew Welch. I'm Patrick Harrington. Thank you, Drew. Thank you, Drew Powers from skypack.dev for coming on. Thanks for having me.
still recording, but this is just a little bonus extra. So I got a question for you. So if I'm using totally separate paths for my development build versus whatever is going to be done for the production build, should I be worried? Is it something... Because the one thing about Webpack is if I'm using it for local dev, it's going through the kind of the same process that it's going through when it is done for production minus optimizations. Should I be worried or should I just test both? Like, what, what would you say? You say different paths. You just mean um, same source code, right? Just different things are building it. Well, it sounds like the, oh, well, okay. So maybe I'm wrong. Is it a very similar process for the dev server as it is for the production build? I'm thinking... It wouldn't be if we're using Webpack or Rollup to do the production build. Um, sorry, you. <laughs> uh, in this scenario, we're using Snowpack for dev and then Webpack for production. I'm. J- <laughs> I'm just gonna stop the recording. We'll we'll do this off air. Hold on. All right. Let me stop that recording.